This episode of the Inform Fitness Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. To receive a special discount code for 15% off of your first order, email tim at inboundpodcasting.com. Hi, friends. Thanks again for joining us once again here at the Inform Fitness Podcast. 20 minutes with Adam Zickerman and friends. I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network and a client of Inform Fitness. I've been working out at the Toluca Lake location here in the Los Angeles area for about 10 months now, and I love it. I love the results. I love the environment. I love the trainers who are not only experts in their field, but they're really, really great people and have become good friends of mine, including the nice lady whose idea it was to produce this podcast in the first place, Sheila Melody. Welcome to the show, Sheila. Hey, Tim. How you doing? I'm good. You had a, a, a nice trip you just returned from? Yes. I was in Illinois visiting family, and it was awesome. And We had a big old farmhouse, and we all just partied, and it was the best. Well, very different from, from Los Angeles, I'm sure. Very different, <laughs> but fun. Saw the faces, the pictures on Facebook. Looks like you guys had a really great time. And, and Adam, you've, you've ta- we've taken a couple weeks off. Adam, I liked what you did. Uh, there was this one time. At band camp, didn't you go there? Is that right? Did you, <laughs> how was, did you bring your flute with you, or what did you learn to play at band camp? Yeah, well, it's, it, I am always trying to learn how to play the guitar. So, but I actually got to meet and and listen to uh, small little talks given by Steve Vai, wow, Eric Johnson. You're kidding! Wow. Yeah. So you know Eric Johnson. I do. Very good. Um, uh, Alex. Uh, Alex. Alex Skolnick. Played in Testament. It's a heavy metal band. Oh, yeah, ba- he's awesome. There you go. Heavy metal band from the 80s, Testament. Uh, and um, and a guy named Mike Keneally, who's also a monster guitar player who uh, played for Frank Zappa as well. I don't know if you know, Steve Vai's first job out of uh, Berkeley College of Music mm. was to play with Frank Zappa. I mean, talk That's about being quite 20 a first game. Yeah. And, and, and you're working for Frank Zappa. Incredible. You know, which is, you know, he's like the Paganini of rock. I mean, like, he, he, he uh, the stuff that he wrote is, you know, you have to be a master musician to even attempt to play his stuff. So, yeah, so Mike Keneally's another Zappa um, band member, and he he's also amazing. So, I'm, so we had these jam sessions at, at the end of the day and at night, you know, and, uh, here I was jamming with a group of guys, and we didn't have a drummer at the point. At that point, there was a bass player, and we had like three guitar players. And uh, now, all of a sudden, Mike Keneally walks into our jam room, and like, we're like, "Do you play drums?" <laughs> and so, sure. there I was playing "Cocaine" by Eric Clapton. Actually, J.J. Kale wrote that, but uh, with Mike Keneally on drums. Wow, man! In my hate, I was like. I felt like a kid in a candy store. You're in your element. Definitely a highlight of, of the band camp. Actually, having Mike Keneally listen to me play guitar while he was backing me on drums. <laughs> oh, that's that's a dream. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Mike, top that. What'd you do during your your time off? <laughs> you know, I, everything's great. It's all family stuff. I mean, like uh, I got babies, so I'm not going anywhere or camp or <laughs> you know Alaska or anything. I, I try. I told my one of my clients told me he went to Alaska recently, and I was like, uh, he showed me photographs, you know, glaciers and dog sledding, and I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. Yeah. And 
like I, I got to do this. I was, I, I went home and I was just like, uh, hey, honey, uh, next June, I'm thinking maybe guy's trip to Alaska. You think I could do that? And she's like, Alaska? You ain't no. going to Alaska. You're going to freaking Disney World with your fucking family. Yeah. That's where you're going. For the next 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, uh, okay, that was shot down fast. But uh, I said, oh, my, you know, my three-year-old, is uh, he's awesome. He's like a divine angel one day, and then he's like uh, Al-Qaeda the next. So it's kind of interesting. It's interesting. Well, wait till he turns uh, into a toddler, teenager. Classic, classic toddler, I'm told. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and everything's good. I just had my eighth uh, wedding anniversary yesterday, so all is great. And wow. uh, yeah. Congratulations. I just celebrated on my 18th uh, the day before yesterday. So See, anniversary. That's a lucky number among the Jews. You know, that's high. <laughs> so Sheila's been on vacation. Adam's Sheila's been to band no camp. I'm talking about. Mike has been uh, hanging out with his family. And here we are diving back into the content. So guys, as we move forward, we've, right now where we stand, we're about 16 different episodes uh, with the Inform Fitness Podcast. Certainly want to thank all of Inform Nation for subscribing and, and becoming members of this community that we dearly love. And before we move for any further, what do you think of my swag, guys? My new, uh, my new hat that, that, that I'm great. rocking here, huh? That's good. Looking good, Sheila. I love that hat. Yeah, I've actually gotten compliments. Like I, I, I wore the hat out to like uh, my kids, you know, baseball games. I'm hanging out with the parents and everything. Like, hey, nice hat, man. Where does where does that from? It's terrific. The black one or the orange one? Adam wouldn't tell them where it was from, probably. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's just some fitness. It's just a, I don't know, actually. Well, that's great. Of course, I've got the black Inform Fitness swag hat that uh, Sheila has on display there in Toluca Lake. How about there in Manhattan, guys? You got them out there in the... We haven't displayed them yet. They're still in boxes. because. T- well, there's uh, the, the mesh hat, mm-hmm. which Tim is wearing, yep. and that's one Adam wanted to get. I love it. And yeah. then there's the regular cotton hat, and I got the orange and the black mesh as well. It's rust, really, right? It's black oh, and rust, rust right? Yeah, and rust color. And I noticed on my on Perksville there, Perks, Sheila, I've yeah. got a uh, I've got a shirt coming to me. I've earned enough oh, points by coming to enough sessions. I've got a an informed fitness shirt, so I'll wear that next time instead of my Dodger shirt that I'm wearing now to celebrate the fact that we clinched the West. So, for you baseball fans here on the West Coast. <laughs> For you guys on the East Coast, you care Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Like I had anything to do with it. <laughs> I'm happy for him. I'm going, I, am going, I am taking my son to a Yankee game on Friday. Awesome. That, but they're, they're like, I don't think they're mathematically eliminated yet. No, but they're they're, they're trying to they're get gonna... the division, the, the wild card there. In, yeah, uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, Yankee Stadium, that's a great place. I had a chance to visit there when I was out in New York a couple of years ago. But the let, new one, huh? You what's a new one? I did. Uh, well, they, it wasn't baseball season, but uh, I actually attended a game at the old Yankee Stadium, which was glorious, truly. It was an amazing experience several years ago. Uh, I and, like and, it better. And, and I like the old one better, but I had a chance to tour the new one uh, about three and a half years ago with my son, and uh, that was a memorable day for sure. It's still, still legendary, even though it's new. Uh, really great place to go. All right, guys, let's dive into the content. Let's get into working out again. Uh, it's been a few weeks. Good to be back behind the mic with you. And, you know, in, in, in the last several episodes, you know, for those that have been listening for any length of time, they know what the power of 10 is. We know that it's an exercise method. We know that it's weight training. We know that it's slow motion, high intensity weight training. And we know that the goal is to reach muscle failure in our once a week, 20 to 30 minute workout session. Today, let's, let's talk about what it's like when a new client arrives at an informed fitness studio. Let's let's walk through their experience, their process, what they what they experience when they walk into Inform Fitness, and then what you do uh, on the back end. They fill out a really comprehensive intake form. What goes into the initial assessment of a new client? How do you determine what their needs are? Well, I would just say the first thing we do, and we all learn this from Adam, is connect with that person and find out 
what it is that they're looking for, what brought them in. So we connect and then we try to explain to them how this will help them, how this can be designed specifically for them. And we also get to know their experience, their if they have any issues, injuries, special needs, you know, things like that that they can't do or, you know, you get to know them first because it's different for everybody. So, Adam, the, the Power of 10 workout, it's not the same for every client, I'm assuming. No, it's not. And um, when we talk about Power of 10 or high-intensity training in general, very often people think it's a one – one of the criticisms and misunderstandings of high-intensity training, especially the way we do it, is um, they think that it's a one size fit all type of approach. Like you know, uh, they think it's that they think that we feel it's a mutually exclusive uh, decision. First of all, like if you do this, you can't or shouldn't do anything else, which is not true. Uh, and the technique of lifting weights slowly and working a muscle failure, uh, going ten seconds up, ten seconds down, breathing properly. These are certain principles uh, that that we that we go by. But that's where the workouts similarity between person to person kind of ends. Uh, there's, there's so many other, it's so multifactorial what goes into a program for somebody's workout, what they're doing, how they're doing it. They're, when I say multifactorial, there are so many, you know, like, like Sheila was saying, we find out not only what their goals are, which is of course important, and to find out you know, what their belief system is about exercise and where they're coming from and their experiences with exercise. So all, all that's important to know also. But besides that, there's their genetic factors, their age, the stress levels they have in their life, how much sleep they're getting in their, in their daily routine, how much activity is in their life at that moment, what are they doing now for exercise, what are they doing recreationally. The list goes on and on. Uh, their, their, their tolerance for muscle burn. How do you see. determine their tolerance for muscle burn until you get them in the gym? Well, I take a match and I, <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, you know, obviously you don't know that by looking at somebody. Um, this is, you know, and some of the things that I'm telling you about um, present themselves over time. Mm -hmm. Some things you know right away. I mean, when you have experience as a trainer, uh, you can kind of size somebody up to an extent, you know, if, uh, th there's all these experiences that give you, you look at somebody now after training somebody for 19, 20 years, like I've been, there are a couple of, uh, I don't even know how I make these decisions. It's kind of like, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's blink, you know, mm -hmm. you just kind of yeah. in a multi, in, in a split second, you figure it all out and you don't even know how you did it, yeah. but it's all your experience that kind of tells you, but you're wrong. Uh, you know, you're not always right when it comes to that. And, and so what you do is you do a generic workout, basic generic workout, and you test the waters and you see how it goes. You have something to go by. You have their, you ha you've done an intake. You know their, their life story to an extent. You know if they've exercised before. I mean, one question I always ask somebody when they first started is, have you ever done a high-intensity workout before? If I was to tell you, and if they've explained the workout to me, and I'd say, okay, that workout you just said you, you do. From 1 to 10, 10 being the most intense experience you've ever had in your life, 1 being not intense at all, how would you describe the workouts you've been doing? And, and, and that gives me a clue if they've ever even had a really intense workout before and, and if they've ever even pushed themselves to what we call muscle failure. Um, 
And then you see, oh, this person does not do well when they approach muscle failure. They have great form, but as soon as the burn really starts setting in, they start to freak out a little bit. Well, there's ways to work around that so they get something out of this workout. For example, we always say that 90 seconds is the window that somebody should reach muscle failure within. If you pick a weight and somebody reaches muscle failure in less than 60 seconds, then it's probably too heavy. And if it's lasting over two minutes, it's probably a little bit too light. Having said that, and this is one of the reasons why we get boxed into a theory and, you know, and we're misperceived because we always say, yeah, about a minute and a half to failure, muscle failure. But you have people that if you picked a weight where they would actually reach failure in, in 90 seconds, uh, it would be too heavy for them. A lot of people say, oh, this is too heavy. I can't move it. And then they're psyched out right from the beginning because it, to reach muscle failure with a weight in 90 seconds, the weight starts out pretty heavy right from the beginning. It's not impossible from the beginning, but it feels heavy. And there's some people, if it feels heavy right from the start, psychologically, they just give up. Something doesn't click with them that the heavier the weight is, the sooner they'll reach muscle failure. And that's actually a good thing, right? We look at it as a good thing. But for some people, if they don't get three or four reps in before that burn really starts to come, they give up before they even start. That's it. That's just one example. You know, through, of, of how you change the workout, you know, for uh, so in other words, so just to finish that thought, for example, so does that mean this person can't work out high intensity and, and, and reach muscle failure? No, actually, it doesn't. Not to say there are some people here that I've trained over the years, very few, that, that really just cannot handle going to muscle failure. In the case like I just described, for most people that are like that, you lower the weight and you reach muscle failure in about two minutes. It's amazing how all of a sudden they're willing to go to muscle failure as long as it comes at around the two-minute mark, not the minute-and-a-half mark. So there's an adjustment right there. So we're not married to a minute-and-a-half. We're not married to one minute. We're not married to any time zone, really. Just a range, of course, and we really do have to get to muscle failure. I think and that's just one. That's like one of a million different types of uh, scenarios. Yeah, and, and when someone comes in on day one, we baseline uh, people when they come in, and you never know exactly if they're going to be able to lift a lot of weight or a little bit of weight. We've seen big guys not be able to lift, uh, you know, very very you know modest weights, and we've seen uh, you know small people lift a lot of weight. So it's just you never know. So that's why uh, we have to baseline low to always be safe. So, Mike, with what you just said, Adam, I've got a question for you. Are there general customizations for maybe just men versus women, regardless of size? No, that you know, of all the factors that we consider, gender is probably not one of them. Hmm. Now that you ask that question, I joke sometimes because yeah, we train a lot of couples, and and some couples are competitive, some jokingly competitive, some truly competitive, <laughs> and um, I have to admit that. Uh, I find, and this is totally anecdotal, and I've been doing this 18 years practically, uh, I kind of find that women very often work out harder than men. They have, they have better discipline, they have better control, you know, they, they listen better. They, this is an interesting point. People equate the weight they're lifting with whether they're good or not at this. Mm -hmm. It's a way where we, people have been conditioned for all these years, though, with how they've lifted weights in the past. Like it's funny. Like when when I when I correct a woman's form, she'll say, "Yeah, I know. I'm not as strong as so and so." I'm like, "Your form and working a muscle failure has nothing to do with your strength. You know, your strength is is adjusted for by just what weights we use. But if if I pick a weight that's appropriate for you, 
your form and you going to muscle failure should look exactly the same as somebody that's lifting much heavier weight than you. It has nothing to do with that. So that's interesting. So a lot of women feel that because they're weaker that they're not as good at this. And that has nothing to do. Their form, going to muscle failure, the stoicism involved in working out like this. Uh, I think women can deal with this because we we give birth. <laughs> right. We can actually <laughs> sure. stand this intensity for, you know, like periods of time. I'm serious. Yeah, no, I'm no, that, that makes well, sense. When you yeah. take an intake, you know, when you're interviewing a woman who wants to work out and we talk about things like this, and they a lot of, very often when I talk about how intense the workout is, and if they don't have any experience with a very intense workout, but they have had children, I say to them, listen, if you were able to give birth you can do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> epidural, no epidural. It is an interesting question. I have to explore uh, that. But like, as far as uh, gender is concerned, I think I, I would almost agree most recently. I don't know about like, all my history as a trainer, but most recently I, I can actually think of a couple. Hey, like, Mike, got, are you in the bathroom or something? Uh, you sound like you're talking underwater. <laughs> <laughs> what about right now? Uh, no, it's just your connection. That's all right. We're 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 happy to have a ha- a good Skype connection today, so we'll just move forward finally. So, what were you saying, Mike? Yeah. Is that number, is that number one or number two? Oh, God. <laughs> it's a double flush. I would Can say two. Drop the yeah. kids over the pool. Or, uh... oh, man, just the, the small, just the small ones. <laughs> just the little ones. I was going to say, you know, we have different, per- the gender thing is, is, I don't know if I have a conclusive answer about that from all my experience, but uh, it's interesting. Um, the t- in New York, you know, we got a lot of Wall Street and stuff like that. And we have a lot, even if they're not on Wall Street, we have a lot of type A personalities. And when you introduce them to this yeah, concept of going to failure, it is actually something that is difficult for people to accept, you know, and I think I find more men have that, that, that psychological shift to accept that this is the goal. Um, like in an, in an innate sense is, um, is I think they find it more challenging. You know? Well, we talked about Adam a minute ago and Sheila, you mentioned a minute ago that if you can give birth, uh, then you can do this workout. Sheila have, do you adjust the workout for pregnant clients? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to, you know, take one of our, our biggest things is the safety, you know, because when you're going so slow, you're guiding them through, you're watching their every move, basically making sure they're doing it in the right form. Because we go so slow, there's very little chance of injury. But if you're, twe- clients are usually tensed up. They're usually like, you know, and you got to try to tell them constantly, relax, breathe, breathe, breathe through it until they learn how to do that, how to be in, in that intensity and breathing. And, you know, I often say, you know, relax. And they're like, I can't relax. You know, it's like you can't. I don't really mean relax. What I mean is just it's going to be tough. Breathe and just and just attempt to keep going. That's all you got to do is attempt to keep going. But on the note about men and women, I definitely see there is a, it's harder for men to go to the failure. That's, and especially, I guess, maybe with a female trainer too, they definitely do not like going to failure, you know, with a female trainer or something. They're, they're just like, they can't, 
they just keep trying and trying, you know. So, um, no, I completely agree with process. that, Sheila. As a matter of fact, you were my first trainer, and I don't want to fail in front of you. <laughs> I don't like failing in front yeah. of Joe, my new trainer. But, but I can tell you, after I doing, guessed, I would have guessed the opposite, actually. And that says because a lot of men they don't want to feel inadequate in front of a woman, so therefore they're going to actually go beyond what they <laughs> should go. They definitely to. work harder. No, but that's, this that's, is the, that's a stupid, uh, typical guy. Who does. All right, we're talking about two different things here. Let me let me explain what I'm saying and see. There's two types of failure we're talking about. Hmm. What Tim is saying that he didn't want to go to failure in front of Sheila is not that he didn't want to go to muscle failure in front of Sheila because he's still at that point being new at this. Didn't realize that going to failure is what's going to impress you. He, in his mind at that sure. moment was failing meant that he, he's, he didn't want to like not be able to finish that last rep. Right. Yeah. And That's which, right. Which in his mind was failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like not like personal failure, like oh, not I'm a wimp. Well. I'm a wimp. Yeah. I didn't I didn't get ten reps like I usually do. Whereas right. the failure that we're talking about is success. I mean, not finishing yeah. that last rep is muscle failure, and that is success. I always like to make sure that they people remember: don't let reaching muscle failure become a frustrating experience. Well, Adam, I got to tell you, failure is the goal. It is the goal, but that right. takes time. For I believe people who've been conditioned for yeah. years, the way they've been working out, I can tell you, I've been doing this now for ten months. And without a doubt, I believe that reaching muscle failure is a learned behavior. I know it's physical because you actually hit failure, but now I know what it's like when I'm approaching failure and I can experience failure and I understand when I, yeah. when I hit it now, but that was not the case when Sheila was training yeah. me uh, yeah, eight Adam, months ago. Right. Yeah. In the beginning, that connection, we, I could tell that person to, the same the Wall Street guy for the first 10 weeks and it sometimes still doesn't seep in. Even though he knows he has to go to the point of physical muscular failure it's like there's there's a there's a disconnect in his brain about accepting mm-hmm. it still yeah, you know what i'm saying and it's like it's something that does take time to really for some people to really make that connection it's uh and yeah, it's, i'm not saying i'm not saying it's a fault of a trainer not explaining it right to somebody i i do know there's a you can explain this to somebody until they're blue in the face and sometimes some people just never get it mm-hmm. I, I have a, i have a male client that if he doesn't reach failure if he doesn't last for more than two minutes he doesn't think he did well. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't think he did well. If I pick a weight where he reaches muscle failure in 90 seconds, he gets off the machine and he says, oh, I sucked at that. That, that was horrible. That was horrible. What's my problem? What's my problem? I'm like, you reached muscle failure. You did it. Then I, the same machine the next week, I lower the weight a little bit. He reaches muscle failure again. He reaches absolute muscle failure. But this time it took him two minutes to reach muscle right. failure. Oh, that was good. That was good. That felt but by me lowering the weight for this person. So he can reach failure in two minutes instead of one and a half minutes. There's no difference physiologically whether he reach failure in a minute and a half or or two minutes. He's going to have the same good response as long as he rests enough in between. That's another factor, by the way. Of course. But no, there's no difference. The difference is that now we have somebody who is happy and and motivated. Mm-hmm. And not feeling frustrated every single – I mean obviously if you have a client that's frustrated after every single exercise, chances are they're not going to last at this very long if, they're, if, it's a, if this becomes a frustrating experience every single time they come to work out. But if they come to this workout and every time they come to the workout and they're finished with the work and they feel like they had a great workout – that's a good thing. But this isn't trickery. And I, don't ca- and I don't care. I don't care if they reach muscle failure in two minutes as long as they feel – that they had a good workout and they actually reached muscle failure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he just happened to be motivated by the number two, two minutes. You know, it's like uh, like motivated, meaning like the sense of achievement came sure. there for some reason. Now, like I was talking about, like like you, we were talking earlier about there's like you know, Mike said that there's a mental switch that happens where you finally accept muscle failure. But no matter how many times you explain it to somebody, it might take time for them to make that for that pro- to, to process. In this guy's case, by the way, he's been working out with me for years, and he never made that mental connection. No matter how many times I told him failing in a minute and a half is fine. You're okay, Bubula. You know, <laughs> he just couldn't get. He just like was like upset. So, no matter what I said. So you know what I said. Doesn't matter. Let's just fail at two minutes, and this guy, and we can progress that way. I can raise the weight a little bit each time, and still reach that two minute mark. Um, anyway, you know, yeah, you know the the thing yeah. is, clients have all sorts of different little quirks and stuff like that. And you know, a good trainer, whether it's he at our gyms or any other gym, you know, you got to make you got to make connections. You got to see whether the client is with you a little bit, or, you know, because they can. It, that might not be the reason also why for some reason they might have you know not gotten enough sleep they might but what, there's a lot of different things but you have to sort of connect with what you know what they're giving you and and we I think all the trainers here we work really really hard to make those connections I mean Adam you know reached out and said hey you know like he actually I don't know if Adam did you just sort of just lower the weight without telling him and then all of a sudden he felt good afterwards or like what was the you know I think I made the discovery <clears throat> when I I made a mistake Picking the weight, I picked a weight that was lighter than it should have been, and you saw that you said that. Was, so we lasted like two and change, right? And he was like, "Oh, that was great." And I never actually heard him say that was great. And I looked at the chart. I said, "What was great about it?" You know, like well, why was this great versus every other time he's ever reached muscle failure? And then I realized that he lasted longer, and I made, I finally made the observation, and I, I said to him, "You know what?" I said, "You like that?" He says, "Yeah, that was that was. I felt good on that." I said, "You know, you lasted two minutes, and I think maybe as long as you last longer than a minute and a half, that you'll be happier." And uh, he said, "Maybe I don't know." You so that's know? just so part I, of learning your clients, just learning how to yeah. motivate them. And, as, and you know, again, this this show is not necessary, by the way, for those listening that aren't don't have access to informed fitness. I mean, it's not. This is not about the client trainer relationship necessarily. Uh, this. This is also about just uh, listening to us talk about this. If you don't have a trainer, you're just training yourself. Keep this in mind for yourself. You know what? What? What do you feel good about? You know what? What feels right to you? You got to listen to your own body. And we're talking about right now muscle failure. But then, then there's how much time in between workouts? The routine itself. Some people can handle five. I have like all right. I'll give you another example. If you're a really big dude. And you work out really, really hard. You know, five compound movements in a workout is like plenty for you. As opposed to the, the, the slight build, uh, more slow twitch muscle fiber versus high, fit, high twitch muscle fiber. You can do, that, people like that can do seven exercises of failure and, and not be completely metabolically devastated. So just because a big guy, for example who has different genetic composition, after five exercises, they are completely spent. They're not a failure because somebody else can do seven and make it. And they're not a failure either if they need 10 days recovery between workouts as opposed to somebody else who only needs five days recovery. You got to pay attention to this. So if you're working out and you're a big dude and you're working out majorly into muscle failure, like you're, you know, you go deep and you're finding that we're 
in general, the once a week workout, like you're finding yourself not getting stronger week after week and you can't raise the weights and you're feeling fatigued, don't be afraid to extend it for 10 days rest. You might need 10 days rest. Others need less. You have to pay attention to all these things. Are you, the bottom line is, are you progressing? Are you keeping good records? Are you seeing your numbers go up? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling spent for too long after a workout? Are you, is it taking you two weeks to recover until you feel right? You got to pay attention. I think, I think the feeling is the, is the key to people, you know, like sometimes the numbers over time, there may be some plateaus in numbers. I mean, it, if that wasn't true, you'd be lifting like 5,000 pounds on the leg press when you're 85 years old. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's not going to happen. But what's most important is people, they, they feel like, oh my God, I still feel as strong as I did or stronger than I did the day before. You know, uh, I, I, you know picking up suitcases is, so, is still easy to me, all those types of things. And then, of course, they're leaving their workouts and they have a sense of energy and, uh, um, you know, that, that type of feeling. Is it still possible to achieve a, a worthwhile high-intensity stimulus without hitting muscle failure for those that are really struggling with, with understanding that concept, uh, getting to muscle failure on their own or with a trainer, regardless of where they're listening to this podcast, if there's an informed fitness nearby or not? Can you still obtain a high-intensity stimulus required for the power of 10 to be effective without well, reaching some, muscle failure? For some people, no. For some people, yes. Uh, because muscle failure is not the only factor for growth and strength gains. There's a lot of other factors, genetics primarily. So you, if you have somebody who genetically responds very well to exercise, yeah, they can go to the low end of muscle failure, like just, just crossing that threshold, if you will. There are other people that unless they really step over that line and go really deep, they're not going to see results. Um, it depends on the individual. So the answer is yes. For, for, for uh, many people, but not necessarily for all people. Sheila, when I go into Toluca Lake for my workout once a week, the, the first thing Joe asks me, and you used to ask me when, when you were my trainer eight months ago or so, is what's your energy level today? Low, medium, or high? And, and so I always say medium or medium low. I don't recall ever having high energy, at least not for the last 10 years or so. <laughs> but, but how do you gauge one's workout based upon what their answer is? Low, medium, or high? Why do you ask that? Just that it's all information so that when we chart your progress, like maybe you don't make a lot of progress or you know, maybe you even do less time on the same weight on a particular machine. But we know that there was a reason for that, you know, that maybe you were tired or you came in at a different time. What I find with some clients is like some clients do really well in the morning. Some clients do better in the evening or in the mid-afternoon. And some clients will come in the mid-afternoon and they'll do terrible. And it's just everybody has a different energy level at a different time of day. I and like so, that. Do you, do you yeah. alter – if somebody tells you they have low energy when they walk in, I think it's very cool that you note that down and you also note the time of day because maybe you might find a trend over time. You might say, you know what, maybe you're, this is not the time of day for you to work out. After you work all day long, you know, right. th- maybe this is not time, the best time for you to work out. But aside from that, noticing trends, if somebody says to you that they are feeling really tired today – do you alter the workout or do you see how the workout goes? We see how it goes normally because it's, sometimes you surprise yourself. You might be tired and it's just, you know, most of the time if people come in and they're tired, we just say, 
all right, we're just going to give it a go, you know, just do the best you can. And usually they do better than they think they might. Um, And then they end up after the workout feeling a boost of energy. Like they feel great. They feel a lot better than they did when they walked in. I've seen that swing many, many, many times. And I've also had people say they have low low energy and then like reach personal best on on a lot of exercises. So mm-hmm. sometimes I, I it doesn't always correlate. It doesn't always correlate that just because they're feeling tired uh, that they're going to have a bad workout. So that's why I don't really normally alter it. If, if somebody tells me that a shoulder is bothering them or this is mm-hmm. bothering them, that I might alter the workout for that. But if somebody just says they're really feeling tired today, I think it's great that you note it down that they said that and what the time of day was. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you keep recording these things week after week. Like I have a, I have a client who um, sometimes she plays tennis be- the day before she works out and sometimes she doesn't. So I, I, always, I always ask that specific question, tennis today or no tennis? And we always find that if she didn't play tennis the day before, she has a much better workout and things like that. Um, right. So – you know, it's interesting. Time- I think okay. I was gonna say I think it correlates a little bit to what we were talking about before, um, in regards to acceptance of muscle failure. Because in a way, um, you know, if you're uh, if you're tired and you say it out loud, it's kind of like you're almost setting up a very low expectation for yourself, and therefore there's nothing that you know, like it, you don't have to prove anything. So you just That's do it. True. You know? Yeah, so it's like a, it's like saying, "Hey, he's throwing a no hitter in the eighth inning." You're like, yeah, shut the it, fuck it, up. It's right. The way like a lot of performance people, like a lot of people who struggle with performance, oftentimes is because they have such high expectations for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to the type A personality, not able to accept failure, and and I think. There's a psychology switch that I think that may be uh, there might be a correlation between that uh, coming in with low energy, saying it out loud, maybe maybe potentially just ha- having a low expectation. And th- like Adam said, I've seen that a hundred times where someone mm-hmm. said, "I feel horrible today," and they've had a personal best. Seriously, I've seen that. Right. I've seen that probably a hundred and three times. <laughs> <laughs> Stop you on that. The only time that we, we might take that weight down a little is if someone's been gone for like two or three months you know, for whatever reason, and then they're getting back into it. And then I'll take a look, but even then, you know, you just take it down a little bit and they just, and you just go, okay, you just have to get used to lifting these heavy weights again. Cause a lot of times it's like, Oh, Oh crap. I forgot what this was like, you know, and it takes a one workout to get back into it, to remind them. So we might take it down just a bit and then you go right back up, you know, you know, she's great. I mean, that, that's for that particular individual. I know other individuals, if I ever lowered their weight because they had a couple of days off or a week off that they normally don't have, and I said, oh, I lowered your weight. Why'd you do that? <laughs> Why'd you do that? Did I tell you you can lower the weight? Well, that's what I was just going to ask, Adam, When you, because I think the longest stretch of time I've been that, I've, that I missed my workouts were two weeks, and I was really afraid that I would lose – uh, you don't lose it. No, matter of fact, just the opposite. I come back much stronger. That there, there's there's that rest component is so valuable in in power of ten. And I've noticed that on from time to time, I'll miss a week or almost two weeks at the most, and I come back and I'm much I've, I'm able to do the weight in a much. Uh, um, one of my one, one of my mentors, Rob Serrano in Washington D.C. I would love to ask him to come on our podcast, but he'll probably say no. Why like this? But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know he varies intensity from workout to workout. You know he, he's really? noticed he's noticed that you know if somebody goes, you know let's say goes to ten being the the, the most intense experience, uh, week number one, he might go to eight 
and seven for a couple of weeks and then bring on the fourth week, come back up to 10. And he's noticing people progressing uh, better when they're, uh, when he, when he does something like that, not only from a physical point of view, but actually he's noticed over the years that, you know, coming in every single week and going all out to muscle failure can be demoralizing, a little discouraging for some people. They're like, oh, they start to dread it. But if they know that, oh, this is not going to be one of those really crazy hard workouts. This is going to be like an eight workout or a seven. You know, it keeps them coming back, you know, and then, you know, all right, once a month now, you're going to have that one really killer workout where you feel like throwing up at the end. I'm exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but uh, <laughs> not not completely, actually. <laughs> Some people. It's only happened once in our studio that I know of. Wow. Uh, well, the, so, you know, you create a, you're creating a variation. Yeah, I think I think the variation, and I think those those are sometimes necessary, especially for clients who've been there for uh, who've been time. with us for a long time. I think that every once in a while, you like a variation, uh, like just setting the intensity a little bit lower. Um, and sometimes, you know, you see. Even when you see um, regular clients, and if I, I usually you see everything generally goes up, but every once in a while I'll see something plateau, and even so, uh, I've seen it even go down, and I'm like, what the hell? What, what is going on? And you look back at the charts, and then you, like I've had this with several people who came twice a week, believe it or not, and I was like, you know something? I think you need to you need more rest in between your workouts, right? I think we only like make you once a week for a while, right? And then we'd see an, a much better trend, uh, and some some people. Uh, work better that way. I've seen the other way as well. Some people, you know, they're they're they got more results by coming twice a week. And it's a, mm-hmm. once again, it's the customization. You gotta, you know, look at who you got, and 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 you know, you don't know everything on day one. In fact, you don't know everything after twelve weeks. But it's all sort of a, a process where we're 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 all like moving. You know, it's a moving targets, and we're we're trying to figure out exactly how to make it better every single time. You know, and I think, uh, and that's that's mm-hmm. how you do it. You you don't know. If, if uh, sometimes you need to see them uh, not progress for a few weeks to actually see that type of uh, trend. Now, One th- other thing that I just remembered too is they may not progress if they're losing weight. If they're going through a certain diet or something and and they're losing weight, like even if it's five pounds, you know, 10 pounds over a period of time, I've had a couple clients that have lost like 20, 30 pounds over a period of like three months, they're not going to progress. I won't you know, even train you don't, them. Huh? I don't even train them. I mean, if somebody comes into my studio and says, uh, oh, by the way, I started this uh, water cleanse or, or, or lemon juice with curry, no, not a pepper, diet if they start saying they're on these cleanses and they're not like eating food for like three or four days and they're just drinking like water with cayenne pepper or something like that, wow. I'm like, well, when, when this, when this, uh, this little circus trick that you're doing is over. Let me know, and, uh, and then I'll start training you again. You know, yeah, I'm not. That's I'm, not, not I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm you're talking about, about that. A really good, you know, like just a a good clean uh, eating, clean diet. You know, mm-hmm. they're just eating right and they're losing some weight, and it's like then they they won't progress because your your body mass, you know, is getting less, and so you're. Sometimes you can't lift the same amount of weight or even if you just hold and maintain during that time, it's great, I think. So we're talking you about know. the customization of, of workouts. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is in my 10 months of working out is there are a lot of machines in the studio, but I don't use all of those machines. So do those machines come into play when you're customizing a client based upon their goals for the workout? Because there are a lot of machines that I've, I've never touched. Yeah, I started my... 
business with five machines. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I had the same five machines for a year straight, and my clients progressed with just using those five machines. Having said that, they've, they've progressed for a full year on the same exact machines. And they would continue to progress and stay as strong as they can for the rest of their life just doing those five machines. Mm-hmm. So they'd be adequate. Now, when you own a gym, however, and you're training so many people to all these variables that we've been talking about, you're limited by just five machines. If that, if you happen to get a client that can't do leg press for whatever reason, or can't do one of those machines, so like now you just eliminate a major part of their whole workout. So we have a lot of machines that some people never use because they're doing fine on the routine that we have and they're getting the whole body. Other people, they have tendonitis of the elbow, they have ankle surgery, they have something, and now you can't do leg press. Does that mean we can't work the quads? No, we can do leg extension, we can do leg curl, we can do all kinds of things to overcome the fact that you can't use your ankle right now. Or you have a torn rotator cuff, so are there ways to work the upper body without exacerbating the rotator cuff injury? Yes, there are. And and, um, you need to not only, not just have a lot of different variety as far as machines are concerned because it's not just about machines and, and, and this workout is not dedicated for just machines. You can do this workout with anything. It, it, you know, Intense workouts are not the exclusive domain of, of customized machines like we have at Informed Fitness. You have to know how to get – you have to know these workarounds um, using either free weights or to avoid exacerbating problems and still not – a lot of people use an injury or a problem as a cop-out to not work out at all. Oh, my back hurts. I'm not going to work out this week. No, come work out. It might actually feel better if, if we're careful. Um, and same thing with like if somebody has tendonitis to the elbow, you can do a whole upper body workout without even using your elbow if you know what you're yeah. doing, if you, yeah. if you have the right options. So, yes, you're, you're, you're going to see machines you might never use only because the machines that you are using are doing the job. And God forbid if you got an injury, maybe you will use some of those machines as a workaround. Um, but if it ain't broken, why fix it many times? Uh, on the other hand, uh, changing around using different machines just from a mental state of, you know, just for variety, just to kind of make things a little bit more interesting and to have a different feel for something, even though you're doing fine on the chest with the chest press, maybe you do want to do a set of push-ups from time to time. Maybe you do want to chest fly from time to time. You're still working the chest regardless. And I'm not quite sure there's much of a, material difference in changing it up all the time as far as strength gains. I mean, going from chest press to chest fly to push-ups and going back and alternating, I I don't have – there's not much evidence to show that varying it like that is better for the chest than not varying it. But if it's just a matter of keeping somebody's attention and keeping you from being bored, uh, then then change it. no, No harm done. And again, once again, it's always about monitoring things and recording and writing things down. All right, because unless you can record all this stuff, you don't know if these changes are are making a material difference or not. And you'll find out over time if they are. Yeah, like one big thing that we will often do is once they're into the workout and they're doing it well and all that on those basic pieces of equipment, uh, the first six or seven that we start with, then we'll change, like let's say the leg press. In On one week we'll do the leg press, the next week we'll do leg extension, leg curl. And so we change that up. That's one of the main things we'll do after a while. But 
It, it, it depends on the client. Some clients can't do leg extension, but they can do the leg press, you know, because of a knee issue or something like that. So, you know, we, we change those things up. And then sometimes clients, we have an ab machine and there are certain clients that just hate it. They, not because they don't want to do the exercise, but they, their body just does not fit into that machine. It just doesn't work right with their, that machine, you know? So we will then do, um, we'll maybe do some floor sit-ups or we'll do the rotary torso, which is also a real good core workout. So, um, or planks or things like that. And they're still getting, most of the time, if it's an ab issue, you know, during the entire workout, we're trying to remind people to use your abs, hold your abs, you know, do this. And, and by the time you get to the abs, you're, you're halfway, you know, fatigued anyway. So, um, you know, it's just constantly reminding people that you're using, by staying in that perfect form, you're using other muscles than what are the ones, the main ones that are being isolated in that particular exercise. So um, that anybody who wants to do this can do this. And we can design the workout to be what you can do. It's best for your body. It's not just one set thing that everybody does the same thing. We're going to come in and custom design this for you. So no matter how old you are, how young you are, what issues you might have, come in, give it a try and see if you can, you know, if you like it, because I think most people who come in love it and they're addicted right away. Mm -hmm. Mike? You know, I, I don't have much to say. I think we covered a lot during the uh, during the actual podcast, but I just want to you know encourage if uh, you know for people who are curious about trying it out that we're definitely going to take very very good care of you. That's all. And I'd like to say that for most of you that don't have access to to a place that has this type of workout, don't let that discourage you either. The principle, you know, you can get my boat power of ten, <laughs> but uh, the, the the big takeaway for this is really to uh, start, learn how to do it, be basic with it, and then take it from there. Pay attention to your body. Pay attention to how you feel. Pay attention to your results. Write down your results uh, and, and, and adjust accordingly and think about it. You know, Think about the, the variables that we talked about. Are you getting sleep? What are you doing outside of the workout itself? Maybe you need some more rest as you see yourself plateauing. So, you know, obviously it helps to have a, an experienced trainer that, that is kind of uh, hypersensitive to these these factors and can notice them right away. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it yourself at all. Hey, why don't you give the workout a try for yourself, just like I did about a year ago. Visit informfitness.com for a list of locations across the U.S., if you don't happen to live near one of the locations, jump on over to Amazon and pick up Adam's book, Power of 10, The Once-A-Week Slow-Motion Fitness Revolution. Inside, you'll find some easy-to-follow instructions to perform this workout at just about any gym or even at home. And back here in the podcast, Adam, Mike, and Sheila can answer a question or respond to a comment you might have regarding The Power of 10. Just shoot us an email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to podcast at informfitness.com. You can also give us a call at 888-983-5020, extension 3, to leave your comment or question. You might even have a suggestion on some topics we should cover here on the show or might have a guest in mind you'd like for us to interview. All feedback is welcome. Thanks again for joining us here at the Informed Fitness Podcast. 
For Adam, Mike, and Sheila, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.